For the past several weeks, we have been following a sermon series that focuses on uh, the life verses that people have chosen. And uh, some people uh, never decide that there's a life verse or favorite verse that God has called them to live by. For others, it's a very important thing. And so we've asked members of the congregation to uh, share what your life verse is, and uh, many have, and we've tried to go through um, some of those um, uh, life verses that have been given to us and in actually interviewed some people. Our life verse today is found in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Now, why did we choose that as a life verse? Who is the person who selected it? We usually interview a person. Uh, can't quite interview this person, but we're going to introduce you to him anyway. It's my father, Lee Van Alstein. Now that's him on the left. The one on the right is my mother, Ethel. But I want to focus on Lee today uh, and tell you why this is his life verse. Well, if I said, Lee, we're going to interview you. How did you select Micah 6.8 as your life verse? He'll say, what? Life verse? Let me tell you a little about him. He was a very faithful member of the church. Well, partly he had to be because he was married to the pastor's sister. But also, his family were part of the founders of that church in 1927. And he had been involved in that ministry since he was a child. And he was still part of it. But he was not the guy you would go to to say, give your testimony. He would say, I gave already in the offering. He was just a guy who did his job. His work history, he drove a truck for many years. He finally had his dream of of uh, owning a hardware business, starting from scratch. And when I was in high school, that business began. He still was very faithful in the church. He was never elected to be on the deacon board. He was never asked to pray publicly because people knew he would say no. He was always there to do the things he could do, like to support with his knowledge of hardware construction, and he made keys in his hardware store. So he proudly had all of the keys to the church <laughs> stored away in secret in case someone lost a key. And the only thing he did in the church was play a horn. Does that surprise you? He, he played a horn, and on, this is how dedicated he was. Every Easter Sunday morning, he was up and his trio played to uh, a group of people gathered 
for an Easter sunrise service. But if you said, Lee, uh, give your testimony, he'd say, oh, not me, you have the wrong guy. And by the way, that smile, you see, that's about as much as you're ever going to get. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's, that's a dangerously uh, uh, open smile. In fact, if you got him to laugh at something that was really funny, he might chuckle and, and then he'd quickly resume his composure because that's the kind of guy he was. But why is this his life verse? Well, because when he died in 1992, at the age of 81, his other three sons, who are all engineers, said to the pastor's son, what verse can we put on his gravestone? And I got to tell you, this verse came to my mind immediately. And that's why I'm presenting it as his life's verse, because I think he epitomized at rock bottom what this verse means. It means that true spirituality is not a thing that's on display. It's not a thing that anybody can point to. True spirituality is described in this way. He has told you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? That is from the prophet Micah. I'd like to introduce you to him. He's a prophet that was a contemporary of Isaiah and Obadiah and Amos um, during a time when the northern kingdom of Israel had already fallen to the Assyrians and the southern kingdom or Judah was always in danger because there were three great forces, Egypt to the south, to the north, the Hittites, the Babylonians and Assyrians, whoever was in charge there to the east. This was a time when the Assyrians were powerful and they uh, were threatening there had been a rebellion and they wanted all of their subject states to pay tribute and there were some people that meant money and it was going to be a lot because they wanted to prove who was in charge otherwise they'd come in and destroy your city so the tribute was a big issue and there were some proud Jews at that time who said never knuckle under and their others say wait a minute this is a small price to pay and they uh, argued about that and in the midst of all of this this prophet Micah rose now his name Micah is a short form of Micaiah and there's another Micaiah in the Old Testament but Mike was kind of, Micah was kind of an abbreviation for that and what it means literally is the MI is who the CA is like and the Yah on the end is Jehovah who is like Jehovah or Yahweh, our God. His name contains the majesty of God and says no matter who you are, you're never going to live up to him. And pagan deities, you cannot compare with God. That's the name he was given at birth. Now, interestingly, many of the prophets are described as Isaiah, son of so-and-so, Jeremiah, son of so-and-so, because they were parts of families that were known and respected. Micah no such thing. 
and he comes from a small rural town in southwest Israel. And uh, who knows how he got to be recognized as a prophet. There was no like ceremony to say, okay, now you're a prophet. You, you kind of earned it, and especially if you were someone from a small town and a nothing family, as Micah was. But he just had to be listened to. His prophecies were very powerful. He's listed as one of the 12 minor prophets, but they're minor only in that they're shorter in our Bibles. The major prophets are longer. But the minor prophets, some of them, had major roles. And there are even some prophets like Elijah and Elisha who were really, really major prophets, but there are none of their writings in our Bibles. So Micah, um, he spoke to Israel's situation. And they were threatened from the outside by uh, the Sennacherib and the Assyrians who were demanding tribute. They were threatened also from the inside by a, a withering of the worship of their, their covenant God and renewal of pagan worship. In fact, the, 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 some of the books of the Torah and the Old Testament had been forgotten and nobody could remember them. And this was a time when their faith had gone to seed. So he spoke to problems on the inside and problems on the outside. Actually, he's quoted in the New Testament in Matthew. Micah 5.2 is quoted as uh, telling people where the Messiah would be born, in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, a small town, unlikely, tiny town. Micah said that's where you should look for Messiah to come from. And he's quoted in the book of Matthew. It's interesting because Micah had those roots himself. Small town, unlikely, and that's where Messiah came from. Now, what is he saying here? What, what does this mean? Let's look at the whole chapter, uh, Micah chapter 6, beginning with verse 3. And I think you will see the context and it will help you. Oh, my people, this is the Lord speaking. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? Okay. God's speaking to the people of Israel. We have a contract, a covenant, and you're treating me with such disrespect. I must have done something bad to you. That's what God is saying. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab derived, devised, while Balaam, son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal? that you may know the saving acts of, my Lord, of, of the Lord. So he goes back over some summary of some of the great acts he's done on behalf of Israel. So now, assuming that the Israelites are going to respond now by saying, yes, we want to make it right with you, verse 6 says, what, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself 
before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a thousand a year old? With will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? How many sacrifices will it take to please the Lord? Shall I give my firstborn? That, that brought back so many awful ideas in their minds because of the, the plagues and the firstborn of Egypt and God redeemed the firstborn of Israel. Going back to Abraham and the challenge of possibly sacrificing his son Isaac. All of those early memories of how God revealed himself in his will. Uh, even if you... If you ask me to give my firstborn, they're, they're considering that as a response. The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Where are you now? Are, are you wondering what it would take to get God on your side? He has told you, verse 8. He has told you, O mortal, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk Humbly with your God. There are a couple of things I want you to notice that when we put up our verse, Micah 6 8, I left out the words that here read, O mortal, in some translations, O man. We don't know what to do with that because obviously it's a, a generic thing, it's every person. And so I thought it would just be misleading to focus on that, so I left it out. But, but he's, he's addressing every Israelite, every Altadena Baptist member. He has told you what is good and what does the Lord require of you. So I'm waiting, tell me. No, no. He has told you. He has shown you. He has revealed it. No, no. We'd like a new revelation. Some new word. There's an emphasis today on new prophetic words. People are celebrated because they've got a new word from the Lord. Why do people run after the new prophets when the Lord has already told you what is required of you? He has shown you what is required of you. In his day, in Micah's day, he was not the only one prophesying. As I indicated, Isaiah, Amos, Obadiah were all contemporaries. Jeremiah came around a little later. But there were also a lot of false prophets. He mentions it. Jeremiah mentions it. And this idea of false prophets... And, brings to our attention the fact that the prophet was authenticated by his message. He didn't come with a document from the Lord that said, you've got to listen to me because I'm real. That are guy's faults. It was not, it was sometimes not easy for people to sort out the true and the false because there are always many false messages. But I, in all the voices that are out there saying this is the word of the Lord, I want to remind myself, he has already told you. He has already told you. Don't wait for a new revelation. And the New Testament, Paul refers to 
that tendency to always want to hear something new as having itching ears. And people do have itching ears. But God does not keep changing the ground rules. In this verse, we read, what does the Lord require you? He's already told you. And there are three verbs that are mentioned. And these three verbs are interesting. The first verb is do. The second verb is love. The third verb is walk. The order is interesting. What we do is what people see. That's how they first know us. And our actions as believers are the first indication that people have. And for us to act in a way that is not following God's will and then try to tell people about Jesus, they're not going to listen to us because we have already said who we are by what we do. And then love, love is, we'll, we'll go deeper into this in a moment, but the, 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 the action comes first and then the emotion, the feeling, the passion with which we feel what we believe and then the walk. And the walk speaks of the continuity, the consistency. Think of those three verbs in your life, what you do, what you love, how you walk. Do you do justice? Now, he puts uh, objects with these verbs. So do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Let's look at these three phrases. Do justice. That is a very powerful Hebrew word, the word mishpat, which is uh, all about the, the justice. Some Christian translations translate it righteousness, which gives us the feeling that it can be seen as a, a, a series of good acts. But justice is more basic than that. It's doing the right things at the right time, being fair, doing justice to other people, doing justice to those close to you. Do justice. When we come before God, one writer has said, we must remember that it is not so much what is in our hearts, but what is in our hands that find expression in our conduct. That's important. It's what is in our hands that results in our conduct. Do justice. Love mercy. Now, that's a, a wonderful combination of words. The word love, which is a big Hebrew word that just wraps around all of the positive feelings that people have. But the word mercy is the word that we translate grace. It's a Hebrew word, chesed. You gotta say chesed. And, uh, and that means unmerited favor. So I am called upon not only to do justice, but to love, love it when I see mercy meted out. Now think about this. If, if, if I see someone showing grace, I should rejoice with that. In our culture, a lot of times we say, oh, he's on welfare, he doesn't deserve it, he's gotta work for it. 
and we resent the fact that he gets money, I should be rejoicing that he receives grace. That's what that says to me. And love, mercy, love, grace. And then this last phrase, which says we are to walk humbly with our God. Now, that word humbly is not the usual Hebrew word for humbly, humbly either. It's a word that's kind of special, and it's translated in some uh, translations as modestly or discreetly. And, and it, it kind of speaks of the fact that we're not flaunting our relationship with God. We're walking with God in a quiet way. That's why I thought of my dad. It's not the, oh yeah, he's a spiritual person, but it's, oh yeah, he goes to church. Okay, it's that discreet spirituality, that walk with God, which is quiet. And um, it says, however, it's not walking with God as a slave, like you're behind him, groveling on the ground. It is walking with God, and it's walking with your God. So that is the model for our continuous Christian life to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk in a discreet, modest way, but in a fellowship relationship with God continually. Wow, that's, that's why that came to my mind with my father. And was I surprised to find this verse connected with President Jimmy Carter? No, because everybody knows my dad wouldn't have voted for Jimmy Carter if he ever voted. Here is Jimmy Carter being sworn in as America's 39th president, January 20th, 1977. Listen to the words that Carter spoke after he had his hands on the Bible and then he took his mother's Bible and he opened it up and he spoke these words. For myself and for our nation, I want to thank my predecessor for all he has done to heal our land. Now, listen. His predecessor was Gerald Ford, and what Ford had done to heal the land was pardon Richard Nixon for Watergate. That was really gracious of Jimmy Carter. Politics today, we'd be boom, piling on. But he said, I want to congratulate uh, thank my predecessor for that. In this outward and physical ceremony, we attest once again to the inner and spiritual strength of our nation. As my high school teacher, Ms. Julia Coleman used to say, we must adjust to changing times and still hold to unchanging principles. Here before me in the Bible, used in the inauguration, inauguration of our first president in 1789, and I have just taken the oath of office on the Bible my mother gave me a few years ago, open to a timeless admonition from the ancient prophet Micah. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. This inauguration ceremony marks a new beginning 
a new dedication within our government, and a new spirit among us all. A president may sense and proclaim that new spirit, but only a people can provide it. Two centuries ago, our nation's birth was a milestone in the long quest for freedom. But the bold and brilliant dream which excited the founders of the nation still await its consummation. I have no new dream to set forth today, but rather urge a fresh faith in the old dream. He was believing in what Micah said. The Lord has already revealed it. That's how his presidency went, this began, but didn't go well. You know, he turned out not to be up to the job in a lot of ways. The problems he faced, uh, including the Iran hostage crisis, and he was defeated in the next election. But Carter still believed in Micah 6.8. And he practiced it the rest of his life, most clearly in the way my father would, by using his hands in support of Habitat for Humanity and building for poor people. And I thought, now that is a fulfillment of Micah 6.8. Doing justice, loving mercy, and walking modestly with your God. It's hard to do that as president. It's easier to do that as a carpenter. And that's where I connected him with Lee Van Alstyne. Now, in recent times, this, word, this verse in Micah has been used by a lot of Christian groups who are involved in social justice issues because this verse seems to be a summary of why they are motivated to do this. I was pleasantly surprised to find it used in a strategic way on the website of Westmont College. Now... <clears throat> What does Oprah Winfrey, Adam Levine, Ellen DeGeneres, Ariana Grande, Gwyneth Paltrow, Katy Perry, Jeff Bridges, Rob Lowe, Prince Harry, and Meghan Markle, what do they have in common? They live, no, it's not Santa Barbara, no. Montecito. If people in Montecito, if you said you live in Santa Barbara, they'd say, excuse me. Because most people in Santa Barbara can't afford to live in Montecito. But that's where Westmont College is. Somehow this Christian college established a campus there years ago. And uh, here's the student body. I want you to notice how, uh, uh, yes, that's the word. Um, but here's the thing, even though they could be a school of privilege. Here's what it says on, on their website, and it is our commitment to diversity. Our commitment to diversity, Micah 6.8. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Now, I want to give them credit for having that there, and I do know that they are working on that, and they've made progress Here's what they say on that website. Why did we choose Micah 6.8? Micah 6.8 is a verse commonly cited to compel people to act in times of injustice. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. 
This is why Westmont chose this verse as the name of our site that references our work of justice, reconciliation, diversity, our objective, ongoing growth as we seek to become a more reconciling community. <clears throat> I, I want to give credit to them for coming up with this and this commitment to Micah 6.8. But let's see what happens. Because we have all been living with the reality of the affirmative action, which became part of our national commitment uh, decades ago, and now has been challenged by the Supreme Court. So that schools like Westmont are no longer mandated to become uh, more diverse. Will they continue with this commitment? That's what I want to see. Because there's an interesting difference between compliance to something out here that says you need to do this and compliance to something in here that says here's what the Lord has said to you. And if they really are committed to Micah 6.8, they will double their efforts. Let's see what happens. I read somewhere that an egg, if it is broken by outside force, life ends. If it is broken by inside force, life begins. Great things always begin from the inside. That's pretty powerful. And the Christian community is the possessor of this gem, Micah 6.8, which calls us to do all the social justice things that we see around us. We have a commitment already. So I don't do justice because of my politics. That's an outside force. But because of my connection with God which is a force from the inside. Here's a statement about Micah 6.8. The greatness of this statement lies in the fact that it lays hold of the essential elements of religion and detaching them from all else sets them in clear relief. It links ethics with piety, duty toward men with duty toward God, and makes them both co-equal factors in religion. That's true of an institution like Westmont or ABC. That's true of individuals like Levin Alstein and Jimmy Carter or me. He has told you what is good and what does the Lord require of you to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. Lord, we ask that you will help us to internalize this, what you have already taught us, make it more a reality in our lives so that we may not have to advertise who we are, but may simply be who we are by your grace and living in true harmony with that grace you poured out upon us. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.